It's good to see all of you here tonight. Uh, we are doing, starting a new series on Advent, and some of you probably have grown up in, in churches that have celebrated Advent. Some of you don't even know what Advent is. Um, so let me give you a little bit of a summary to get started here tonight. First off, uh, Jesus' birthday back in the 4th century, uh, it was decided that we would celebrate Jesus' birthday on December 25th. Now the reason that they did that, it used to be celebrated on January 6th, I believe, but the reason they did that is that the, the Roman community had some pretty debaucherous celebrations between the 17th and the 25th of December, and the Christian community in its brilliance thought, well, let's do a, a missionary kind of thing, and let's move Jesus' birthday to the end of this debaucherous time, and then when we start celebrating Jesus, then maybe we can influence what's happening around us. Um, and so that's how we got December 25th. Now, when they did that, like good Christians or good Jewish people, good religious people, when they have a festival of some sort, right? And for Christmas, Christmas was supposed to be a big feast. It was a Jesus feast. When you have a birthday, you eat good food. But to do that as a religious person, you have to get ready. You have to get ready to celebrate. I don't know if if you're like me, but the more friends you have, the more birthdays seem to happen. And then the more friends you have with children, it seems like the more birthdays you have to be at. And and you start looking at your calendar, and it seems like there's a birthday every other weekend. And, and you're not able to prepare to celebrate anybody. If you're like me and a dad, you just show up and hope that something happens for somebody, right? Um, but for... For Jesus, the ancient uh, community who followed Jesus decided that we need four weeks to prepare, to really get to a place where we can focus on Jesus and his birth. Now, the word Advent literally means the coming. Okay, So what you're preparing for is the coming of Jesus, his birth. But it also means waiting. What's interesting to me that Advent lands, you know, and Christmas in our culture right now is extremely busy. In fact, um, in my family, with my in-laws, we're supposed to um, have our Christmas wish lists up on Amazon before Thanksgiving. Okay, so I start on these wish lists, and I don't even know what I want because I'm not one of those kind of people who thinks a lot too much about what I want because I figure most of it costs too much money. Um, because what I want is really expensive. So I don't think about it, because I figure I can't have it. Um, but when I start putting together my list, I start thinking about things that I want. But really, I didn't know I wanted them, so I don't really care that much. But after the list is done, and I start wandering around, and I, you know, talking to my friends and going to the store, and I'm like, oh, I should have put that on my list. Oh, all of a sudden, I have this sense of I need things, and that's the season that we're all in, in this kind of chaotic give presents, take presents, go to the parties, do all these kinds of things. And some of that's good. It's a good thing. But the thing is, is that Advent says, wait, 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 wait. You need to stop. You need to stop. You need to wait. You need to start thinking. You need to, it, it's very counter culture. So tonight, what the invitation is, is to do something with your life that's slightly different than what the culture is asking you to do. Slow down and focus on Jesus. Now, 
there are three purple candles and a pink candle, and then the Christ candle in the middle. We have candles for Advent, and we light them every uh, week to mark the weeks. And I think I have a flame here. So, you light the first one, and we'll light one each week as we go through Advent. But we have three purple candles. And the first one, it's purple, and it, it can remind you of royalty. Okay? So, the first thing that we're, we'll look at this week is Jesus, not just the birth of God as man coming to earth, but that he's a king. Now, here's the thing about kings. I know all of you have seen Robin Hood, right? Or read Robin Hood or know something about Robin Hood's story, right? And who is Robin Hood really waiting for? Who's made Marion waiting for? They're waiting for King Richard, who shows up like, what, three minutes, right? That's who we're waiting for, I think. The, the king at the end, because the king's supposed to make everything better, right? He, he's going to, but what does he do? All he does is marry uh, Robin Hood and made Marion and fix a few things. But kings, that's the thing about a king. A king fixes things. A king fixes things. And so while, while we begin to focus on Jesus' birth, the thing that Jesus is is a king, and he fixes things. That's what we're hoping for is this fixing of things. Now I want to read to you the ancient prophet Isaiah chapter 2 and what he says about this king. And I'm just going to read one verse, Isaiah chapter 2. I guess I'll read two verses, 4 and 5. And I want you to hear the description of what Jesus is supposed to do and what a king is supposed to do. Verse 4 of chapter 2 of Isaiah. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So when we say we're, we're preparing for the birth of Jesus and we're waiting and we're focusing on a king, and what is this king going to bring? Well, according to Isaiah, the king's going to bring this absence of war, peace. The things that you use to fight other people are going to be bent into things that produce food. There's going to be peace. Okay. Here's the thing. Peace, like for these, for these uh, Israelites that Isaiah is speaking to, they're being pressed in on all different corners. And so there's music for me wow they're being pressed in on all corners and the thing about it is they're hopeless but a king that comes along and says hey i'm going to deliver you i'm going to judge between you i'm going to fix the weapons and change them in to to farming equipment that's a king who's bringing peace there isn't any conflict anymore so when you and i focus on jesus and we get excited about Jesus being our king, what we're getting excited about is that you and I have an opportunity to be a people that are not of war. That's what people who decide to follow Jesus are. That's what we're celebrating when Jesus is born as our king, as people who move from conflict to a person of peace, to a community of peace. So this community here, us, people who follow Jesus, are people of peace. That's who we are. So what we're stopping and thinking about and reflecting on is that Jesus, fully God, fully man, being born of a virgin, 
is a king who brings peace. Now, there's something a little different for you and I on the other side of Jesus' birth. And that is that if you decide to be a follower of Jesus, what you believe is that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That when you look at the cross, all the sins that you have done in the past, all the ones you are doing right now, listening to me in your brain, and all the ones that you will do in the future are forgiven on that cross. But not just the forgiveness of our sins, but in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we're given Jesus' righteousness okay, on that cross. So when God the Father looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus and he delights in you because of that. So when we're looking at Jesus' birth, we're looking beyond just the birth. We're looking at the fact that we're living in a new reality. Now, there's a problem in that new reality. Jesus ascended into heaven, right? We read the Apostles' Creed. And he said he'd come back. He said he'd come back. So now when we're thinking about the birth of Jesus and we're waiting, one of the things that we have to be in touch with is that we're still waiting for Jesus to come back. We're still waiting for all of this to be fixed. For us, for the King to show up and finish things. Right? I want to read to you 1 Thessalonians. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is uh, one of the earliest letters after Galatians that the the Apostle Paul wrote. And I want to read to you uh, what he says about Jesus coming back, okay? Um, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So what he's saying is God's going to show up. There's going to be these big trumpets and we're all going to be caught up together. And that's to be encouraging. That God's going to come back and everything's going to be okay. Now let me just give you a visual picture of this so you understand what's being said here because this is very royal language. So here's the picture that Paul's drawing. There's this little village. All of us are in this little village. And what we get the news of is that the king, we're way far away from the king and his castle, but the king is coming. Now in our little village, Jeremiah over there, wave at us, Jeremiah. He's not been really good at, the, at keeping the road straight. He is the guy that we hired to do it, but he hasn't been doing a very good job. So, But the king is coming, so we join Jeremiah's crew and we start clearing the roads because we want the king to come and be able to get there. right? So we start making the road straight. Now, on top of that, we, we've all been pretty safe in our village, but Scott, sitting right next to Jeremiah, wave Scott, he's the policeman. Not been doing a great job of keeping the brigands in, okay, or out. So, we, you know, the robbers, all the people. So, we go help Scott over there, get rid of all the robbers. We put them in jail, the people who are, you know, ambushing people on the road. That's what we spend our time doing, getting this road straight. Now, while we've been all working at it and helping out, you know, Jeremiah and Scott, we hear a trumpet way out in the distance. 
So everybody, we get our carts, we get on our horses, we get on our mopeds, for some, because some of us are more advanced, and we start going down the road to meet the king. And the king is coming. Now, kings don't come by themselves. You know, and we keep hearing the trumpet, and it's way out there. Kings come with armies. And so the whole village goes out to meet the king. And when we get to the king, our whole village sort of just blends in, gets caught up in the king and his army. And no longer are we recognized as the villagers. We're just part of the king's entourage, and we re-enter the city as the king's people. Okay? <laughs> Very exciting. My wife thinks it's exciting anyway. If you didn't even know that was my wife. Hey, I have my own cheering section over there. That's awesome. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, anyway. I'll pay her, so... But but here's but that's the thing that this that Paul is talking about. What he's saying is that you and I are in the village, and we know the king is coming, and we know that when the king gets here, when we meet him, we're going to be his people. And that caught up, you know, some people say, for those of you who have been at church for a while, that's what they call the rapture, okay? But I'm not going to talk about the rapture. It's being caught up together. What happens is, is that it's, and your reality, the reality of being the villager who's trying to straighten the path, who's trying to keep out the bad guys and make sure the king has a path to get here, that guy, that reality is gone. It's over. Instantly, we're caught up in a new reality. We're the king's people as we enter the city, our new city. Okay, That's what this is all about. So what Advent then becomes in this waiting is a time for you and I to make straight the roads, to help Scott get out the bad guys, to help Jeremiah make the roads straight. Right? That's, that's what we're about. Advent is about being people who straighten roads. Now, I want to look at a guy by the name of John the Baptist who cleared a path and made it straight to show you what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to do it. We're going to look at John the Baptist to get an idea of how we're to be those villagers, how we're to be those people who make straight the paths. Matthew chapter 3 talks about this guy named John the Baptist. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent. I should probably you know, click these slides. I don't... Anyway, there you go. My picture of John the Baptist. <laughs> preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem, all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Okay. All right, so we have this guy named John the Baptist, who shows up in next to the Jordan River, and he's compelling enough, and we hear how he dresses, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but he's compelling enough that people from all over come to see him. And his message is to repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, for those of you who've been at church for a while, you know that Repent means to turn away from something. But sometimes we get confused. We think confessing and repenting is the same thing. 
Confessing is just saying, this is what my sin is. Repenting is really a facing thing. It's a physical thing. It's saying, I was going in this direction and it was bad. And now I have turned my whole body and I'm going this way in the opposite direction that's good. Repentance is in response to confession. It's going in the opposite direction. So John the Baptist is saying, hey guys, you need to change your life because the kingdom of heaven is near. Now what is the kingdom of heaven? Well, the kingdom of heaven is the rule and reign of Jesus, the reign of God. So what he's saying is, and this is, here's what you and I are called to do. If we're those villagers making straight the paths and and the king is coming, then our job is to be like John the Baptist and to holler out, hey, everybody, you need to change. You need to repent because guess what? The king is coming. The king is near. The king is here. So one of the things, part of Advent, is you practicing announcing things. You know, as Christians, we, we don't realize that part of our job is to make announcements. We are heralds. We're supposed to make loud noises about the king coming. John the Baptist is a good example for us. We're supposed to holler out, hey, Jesus is king. You need to repent. He's coming. He's coming. Now, Isaiah says that he's, John the Baptist is the one who's making the path straight. He's the one who comes before Jesus. Now, we need to get to John the Baptist's outfit, okay? Because he didn't go to Macy's, I'm pretty sure, to get this outfit. I don't, I'm not, whatever, the scratchy outfit, the belt, doesn't matter. But here's the important thing about, I think, what John the Baptist is doing. It's not his outfit, it's his dinner, okay? His dinner is locusts and honey. Now, locusts, I'm I'm sure God was like, okay, hey, because I'm going to use you, you can at least dip the locust in the honey. Maybe it'll stop squirming when you eat it. You know, it'll, I, I don't know. But here's, here's the symbolism in it. Locusts in the Old Testament are part of punishment and destruction. And the, the prophets talk all the time about how people's lives have been devoured by the locusts. So when a prophet jumps up and says, repent, and he's eating a locust, what he's saying is, you need to repent of the places where the locusts have destroyed your life, where you have made choices to have things devoured. Right? In the Old Testament, honey is a place of blessing, of goodness. So, the honey, the part of the, the reason that the writer says, here's John the Baptist's diet, is that when we repent of the places of the locusts and how they've devoured us, there is a blessing. There's a blessing in repentance. Yeah? There's a blessing. When you decide to move away from evil and to change your life, there's a blessing in repentance. Now, people are coming out from all over the place, and this is what they're doing. They're confessing their sins. Now, I don't know how poor John the Baptist had to deal with this because he, everybody came out. And so he's just listening to people tell their sins. Now, I don't know if they just say, I have sinned, or if they decide to give him the litany of all the things, you know, all the people they've murdered in their mind, all the you know, sexually immoral things they've done, all the things. I don't know if they're laying it out or not, but they get baptized. Now, baptism is being dunked or having water poured over you. It's a symbolic washing. So, 
These people confess their sins, and then they're symbolically washed of their past. So, let me offer you this second part of Advent for you to think about. The way that you and I slow down, the way that you and I wait, the way that we begin to focus on Jesus, I think, as we take John the Baptist as our lead, is to be people who repent. So I'm going to ask you, as a community, to to take some time in the next four weeks to identify places where you have made choices in your life that have opened you up to locusts, to having your life devoured, to having broken things happen, to have consequences, and to make a decision to confess those out loud to somebody, to tell somebody, tell your wife, tell your husband, tell your pastor, tell someone in your pilgrim group, tell a good friend, tell a random homeless person, whatever it is, confess it. Then I'm going to ask you to do something. And this is the important part because I want you to remember what you repented. I want you to do something symbolic. Like this washing, this baptism. I want you to do something. Draw a picture. I don't know. Give a shirt away. Buy a new shirt. You're a new person. I don't know. Do something where every time you look at that picture, every time you put on that shirt, give, give some clothes to someone in this community so you see, every time you see them wear it, you're reminded of what you did, of your repentance, of your confession. See, if we're going to prepare the path for Jesus' return, if we're going to focus on what He's done for us and what His birth means, the first thing we need to begin with is repentance. The first thing we need to begin with is repentance. And I want you to do something symbolic so that you will remember. And maybe do something symbolic that you put back into your Christmas box. So every year when you open your Christmas box, there it is. It's an ornament. There's my sin ornament. I'm going to put that on the tree. Uh, Right? Do something. Now, all these people are confessing and getting baptized and some other people show up. They're Pharisees and they're Sadducees. Listen to what he says to them. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of eight for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor. Gather his wheat into the barn and burning up the chafe with an unquenchable fire. John the Baptist is serious about this. He's not. He's, this is not like his vacation job. Like he he does this when he on free time. This is his life to tell people that they're a brood of vipers and that they need to repent. He's serious about this. The call of Advent is for us to be serious. Now there are these Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees are the people who keep the law and find their identity as Jewish people in the way that they keep the law, and their expectation that everyone else would do that. And they think that the way they live is what gets them, their nationality and the way they live connects them to God. 
The Sadducees are slightly different than the Pharisees in that they're wealthy and in power. And they have some different beliefs about the Old Testament. But they are the wealthy, and the Pharisees are the ones who are kind of the moral police and keep everything going. But here's their sin that, that the brood of vipers, like, you know, accusation comes from. Their sin is entitlement. They feel entitled to God. And what is, what does John the Baptist say? Well, no, no, no. Abraham, God can make Abraham's children out of rocks. He doesn't need you. But he feels entitled. They feel entitled. I would say for us in the modern and 21st century, Advent becomes a challenge to our entitlement. Christmas, shopping, Black Friday, tablets, you know, for $10. All the things that you have thought about and looked at or resisted but still feel the pressure of. Our culture is a culture of entitlement and December is a month of entitlement. Right? And I'm going to even go as far as those of us who resist entitlement and we buy animals for people in, you know, third world countries are still pretty entitled because we feel pretty important that we bought some pigs for somebody. Right? We feel entitled. Like we deserve stuff. And the message of John the Baptist is you don't deserve anything. Your blessing that you have only comes from God. It doesn't come from something that you have done. Let me offer you this. The second part that you can kind of enter into Advent. Advent says stop. Advent says wait. Advent says focus on the coming of God who humbled himself and became a man. Ask yourself a really hard question. How am I entitled and how do I take advantage of my entitlement? Because it is so insidious that even if you're a villager and you think you're hip and cool and socially aware, you're still living inside your entitlement. So, I ask you to ask yourself, to ask God, where is the entitlement in my life? Where's the entitlement? Because that's what John the Baptist was saying. He says, don't get caught unaware. Don't think that somehow all the things that you do and think are going to get you a blessing from God. So I want you to repent and do something symbolic to remember that. I want you to address your entitlement in this beginning of Advent. And now I want to make, I want to go back to that little village story I told. Because that's where we're at. We've heard that the king is coming. We've heard the king's coming. And we're called to be like John the Baptist to begin to make the path straight for him to come. But some of us have a hard time doing that. And let me show you why. I'm going to go back to 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5. On Monday, as I was preparing for this sermon, I asked God a question. I said, God, why am I so disconnected? I feel really, really disconnected from you. 
having a hard time hearing you. And when, you know, when I'm depressed, usually as a pastor, God sends me to 1 Timothy. When I'm being rebellious, God sends me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And that's where he sent me. Let me just read to you. Paul is telling the people how they're supposed to be in preparing for Jesus' coming. Starting in verse 4, it says, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. That's what I read when I asked God why I was having trouble hearing him. What I heard him say, and anytime I give God an opportunity to talk to me, he doesn't, he doesn't shut up. Maybe that's not your problem, but it's definitely my problem. God just keeps talking, and I have to ask him to be quiet because I can't handle it. But what he said to me was very direct. He said, Eric, you've become dull. You're not sober, and you're not alert. Your brain is so busy that, that you just have no space for me in your head. That was pretty convicting. But I was happy for him to tell me that. It wasn't like I was upset at him. And I, he was right. I, I, I have just, over the last few weeks, just made my brain really busy and avoided really listening to God and just kind of filled myself with whatever little thing that I, whatever chatter I could hear. Now, as your pastor, I'm going to take a, a risk here and say that probably you have some of the same problems I do because I'm your pastor. You know, they, pastors who are older tell younger pastors like me that the things you don't like about your congregation or the things that you struggle with, are, they struggle with are the things that you struggle with. And the things that you don't like about them are the things you don't like about you. Right? So we're all pretty close to being the same. So I'm suspecting that a lot of you wrestle with having busy brains and being a little dull and not being able to hear God. Now, I've tried to make some choices to turn off my radio, to put away the music that I listen to, and the times that I get those urges to begin to listen by reading my Bible and praying when I want to turn on the radio or I want to do things just to kind of zone out. But I'm going to ask you all to practice this with me every Sunday for Advent. And I'm going to ask you to take a risk. I'm going to ask you not to bring your cell phones or your iPads to church this month. If you have to bring your cell phone, leave it in the car. Okay? Because I think part of what's happened in our culture is that we've become addicted to digital things. And digital things have numbed us and made us dull. You know, often, and I see this everywhere, but I see a church, and I'm doing it too, is there'll be five or six of us here sitting in the couches all staring at our phones. Right? So I'm going to ask you, just for Advent, 
leave your iPad, bring your Bible. There are these paper things, so if you tell me you need a Bible, just bring the paper one. It's all right. You can do it for a month. And if you need your phone, just leave it in the car. You can go check it after church because I'm sure there's important phone calls and football stats you need. Right? Um, so so that's, that's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to participate with me and not being so dull so that we can hear Jesus together. Now, what I would ask is that if one of you decide that you're not dull and you want to bring your phone in, that the rest of us not chastise them for that. That's okay, you know? I'm not making it mandatory. I'm just asking for you to do that as your pastor. So let me just review this really quickly. Advent means coming. It's a time when you slow down and prepare. For us as followers of Jesus, on the other side of the birth of Jesus, the celebrating of his birthday is a time to reorient ourselves, to make straight the path for the king who's coming. So I want you to start by repenting and doing something symbolic to remember what you repented. Probably should make yourself a sin ornament. I think that's great. Put an ornament on the tree so every year you're like, oh yeah, that's Eric's sermon. I don't even remember what I confessed. Whatever. Put, do something symbolic. Second thing is I want you to really just spend, I don't know how you do it, if you journal, whatever it is, if you just have to talk to people because you're an out loud processor, whatever it is, or if you're one of those people who's very introverted, and you need to go up on the mountain and write some poetry about it, I want you to examine your entitlement. I want you to be able to articulate how that entitlement has begun to, to make you dull. Because I think that's where a lot of our dullness comes from. And third, don't bring your cell phone or your iPad to church for the next week. Let me give me a time. I think I'm a... <laughs> Rod has he has an analog watch <laughs> I will go with Rod uh, <laughs> no one will no one will know that's true that's alright you can just say we don't know and then I'll pray let's pray Father in heaven thank you so much for this community thank you for being willing to humble yourself and to become a child be fully God and fully man and to live out a life that we couldn't and to die a death for our sins that we could not. And thank you for giving us hope that you're going to come back and we're going to be part of, your, of you and of your kingdom and that you're going to make all things new and that you're going to bend the weapons of war into plowshares. You're going to bring peace. God, help us to be people of peace. I ask that in your name. Amen. There is a couple ways tonight to respond to God's Word. Um, we do not have wine up here. It's all grape juice, for those of you need to know that. Um, but on the night that Jesus was betrayed at Passover, He took the bread as He ate with His disciples and He broke it. And He said, This is My body broken for you. Take and eat. And at the end of the meal, a Passover meal, he held up one of the last glasses of wine to be drank, and he said, This is my blood shed for you, the blood of the new covenant. Take and drink. 
Every week we do this. And communion is often called the Eucharist, and Eucharist means thankfulness. We do this every week because we're coming and we're saying, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. If you can do that, please come. Break the bread, dip it in the grape juice, and remember what Christ has done for you. The other way to respond to God's word is through offering. If you're visiting with us, we're just happy to have you. Um, If you're a villager, this is how you pay for your pastors, how you keep the lights on, and how you pay for bacon. Just Just so you know that. If you would pass it that way, Charlie, that'd be awesome. Thanks. One last thing. We're, as we listen to some music and as we sing together, there's a chair back there, black chairs, called the sinner's chair. It comes from Martin Luther, the ancient reformer. Well, he's not ancient, but 500 years ago. He was a Catholic. And when he left the Catholic Church, he took the confessional out of the confession, out of the, the curtain and made it public, and stuck it next to the altar. And people could actually come and say, I have need of the sinner's chair. And they would sit there and confess, and people would pray for them and sing over them. So if you need to be prayed for, just go sit in that, and someone will pray for you. We're going to listen to some music, we're going to sing together, and then we're going to eat bacon. So let's worship God.